Michael McMullen. Welcome once again to the World Snooker Tour podcast, and it's great to be joined today by Blackpool's James Cahill. James, thanks very much for dropping in. No, thanks for having me. There's a lot of players in the game who started out because they came from a family that had a real background in the game, and that certainly applies to you, doesn't it? Yeah, I, um, I was speaking about this to someone the other day, and I think sometimes sport can choose you in a way, and mm. my mum used to play, my dad used to play, my uncle Stephen Hendry, I think, and also my mum managed a snooker club. And when I was growing up, like four or five years old, I used to get the bus from school and every day and just want to go in there. And I think, you know, when you're around the environment, it sort of, you know, it influences you to, to you know, to play snooker. And now your mum's name is Maria. Maria, is that correct? Yeah. Now I'm really showing my age here. I actually remember her <laughs> yeah. as one of the top ladies players. How good a player do you reckon she was? <laughs> I don't know. She was probably better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, no, in in honesty though, I don't really know because it was before me. Really, mm. you know, like I st- I sort of started playing because of her, and you know now she says that she plays through me when she watches me. So I suppose that's nice. But the answer to the question is I don't really know how good she was. Well, I can tell you she was certainly one of the top women's players, and that was at a time when there were players like Alison Fisher, yeah. Stacey Hilliard, Karen Core. So it was a tough school to be involved in in those days. So, as you say, you had an early grounding in the game. You turned pro at 17 years of age. It's tougher than I think people realise, though, to make an impact on the pro scene at such a young age. Yeah, I'd say um, I'd say the first few years is definitely a learning curve, like going to college or mm-hmm. um, you know, learning your trade as such. And it may be longer than that. I think it depends on the sort of person you are. Um, I think for me it was especially... Um, but yeah, obviously I turned pro at 17 and then, you know, I've had a few good runs here and there, but not quite done what I wanted to do just yet. You were on for four years in that first batch and then you dropped off. I often wonder when it happens to players at quite a young age, actually, when they still have a lot of life to live and could go down a different road. Did you think maybe about packing it in at all or was it always a case of you wanted to try and play your way back on? Um, yeah, I think... I think it's I have thought that and it's more I think that's just from especially before when I have is just disappointment of not doing what you think you should do and I know everyone has that expectation but I think for myself I put a lot of pressure on myself to to do what I believe I'm capable of doing and then sometimes when you're not achieving that it you know it's heartbreaking Mm. because you're putting in so many hours and you know, not seeing, you know, rewards from it. And, you know, sometimes you, sometimes when I've had my best results, as strange as this sounds, I've not really played that much. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I have said it, but, you know, heartlessly really not, you know, snooker's what I love and, you know, hopefully it's what I'll always do. People see the list of results at every tournament and it's just a succession of scorelines to them. But what you say there really highlights what's going on underneath all that, that every defeat is a heartbreak for someone and it's another little step towards their dreams perhaps being derailed. So how at such a young age do you put all that disappointment behind you and, and get back onto the tour and start making an impact? Yeah, I think that's something that I struggled with. Like when I was when I first got on tour, I think I expected too much and I, my game wasn't there at the time to to expect what I what I wanted. You know, sometimes you just think you're going to turn professional and, and set the tour alight and it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. And um I think, you know, it's not if you can have someone in your corner which can sort of um explain to you and sort of keep you on the ground of making the lows not too low and the highs not as high, 
then you know what I think it leads you in good stead for a balanced a balanced career really which I think is what you need and have you had people like that in your corner um I've had like coaches in the past and stuff but not I think for me it's more mental um I think now I'm at the stage where my game's there and I just think it's mental and if I can be mentally strong stronger or stronger on the day especially then I can be a tough player but I think if I was if I could speak to myself now a few years ago I'd have just told myself look you know um make the don't try and emphasize the highs and the lows as much you know sometimes my lows I'd I'd be driving home and for days on end and thinking about it and you know you think on it and the next game you go to you're still there because you've thought about it for so so long and I think the quicker you can get it out of your head and move on to the next event is beneficial, definitely. But there are things you can really only learn with time and experience. So those early years on the tour probably served you well to learn those lessons. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think it's only I think it's only like the last few years that I've actually matured in it as a person and and sort of realised that. Like probably yeah, the last couple of years where you know I've I've sort of not I'm not going away from tournaments as disappointed because I'd go away and I'd be like how can you lose that match how can you you know calling myself every name under the sun and you know you know how do you it's just you know and it leads to the next game and it did for me and now I sort of have a better thing attitude towards the game whereas if I lose I'm not as harsh on myself and I can sort of accept it more and it's helped me um I think more so now than previously in the past I think now I'm sort of getting to grips with it a bit more so when you talk about maturing James do you mean as a snooker player do you mean in life generally or is it a bit of both going hand in hand yeah I'd probably say um I'd probably say a bit of both like often on the table I think if if um you know I think people mature at different ages and you know I think I I'm maturing a lot more now and um you know I'm hoping that that can sort of off and off on off on and Off on the and table, on. Yeah, yeah, sorry. It's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I'm hoping that can help me on the table and start getting me to where I hopefully can be. Well, let's talk about a week where you really were, where you wanted to be. Probably your favourite subject, the 2019 World Championship, where you grabbed all the headlines. But before we get to that, the qualifying rounds, just to get to the Crucible, you had an extraordinary match to start with against Andrew Higginson, and the whole story might never have got off the ground. Yeah, that was probably one of the best matches I've ever played, Um as in scoring wise, I think me and me and Andrew practice together, and we always have sets where we score, you know, and beat each other five nil and whatever. You know, Andrew's a great player, and I've sat off that day, and I think in the first seven or eight frames, my lowest break was something like seventy or eighty. And you went seven nil up then. Yeah, it was. I, I just it was just flawless snooker. It just got to the point where I literally did not think I could miss, and it very doesn't happen often. Mm. I can tell you that. Um, yeah, and then after, I've gone seven. I think I left that game 8-1 or 7-1, I can't remember. And I've come back out after the interval the day after and I've gone a ton first shot and I thought, happy days, I'm going to be out of here within you know, 20 minutes as long as it carries on like this. And um, next minute he played a few good breaks and he must have made about four or five 50 breaks of his own on the trot. And next minute I'm 9-8 down and I'm thinking, so this match is obviously to keep my tour card and um, you know to obviously get in the second round of the world. So... It took, um, I think it took a lot of courage to, to win that match. It's easy to look at that from the outside and say, oh, well, that must have been such a relief to him that that gave him the momentum to carry on from there. But was it like that for you, that having got that big match out of the way and having survived that scare, that you sort of got the momentum behind you? Um, I, w- I wouldn't say it was that. I think just 
that that game there, I was in. Well, the whole tournament, I was making like four, five frame spurts constantly. I was doing it in practice before it, and I knew my game was there. And it's and um, it was just like every match that I played in the best of 19s, I knew at some point that I was gonna have a four or five frame spurt of scoring. And, you know, at the top level, you have to do that. And I've lost that over the last few years, you know, things happening off the table and, you know, not being in the right place of mind, really, with tips, with cues, with mentally, coaches, you know, and the list goes on. People think that, you know, you've fallen off a cliff because you've, you've not done so well. But, you know, you're only... There's so many factors of why that can be. And, you know, you know I feel like now, personally... Mentally and game-wise, I'm in a stronger place than when I actually did well at the Crucible. The final qualifying round was an extraordinary situation because you were technically classed as an amateur at the time because you weren't on the tour. The same went for your opponent, Michael Judge, much older player who indeed had played at the Crucible years before that. So a huge opportunity for both of you and massive pressure on it. Yeah, um, it was a bit of a strange game to play that because it was one of them games for us both, which was a good draw. You know, I'm sure he was thinking the same thing. And, you know, obviously, um, I, I remember just going into that match thinking, you know, come on, I've got to win this game. It's to get to the Crucible. There's a lot of pressure on it. And the first four frames that I've gone out again, I, I think I made like 190, 80, 100. And I've gone into the interval and it was just like, I just felt like I was going to win and qualify. And it's, an, it's a nice feeling to have. It very rarely happens. But that week and, you know, previous to that, I was I was feeling like that. And I know that game's there. It's just hard to sometimes get out and have confidence to to keep it going. And as you say there, it was such a big opportunity for both of you to qualify for the Crucible. In a funny sort of way, going from that to a match then against Ronnie O'Sullivan in the first round of the World Championship itself, where nobody expects you to win, is it almost that there's less pressure on you, even though it's at the Crucible and it's such a high-profile occasion? Yeah, I don't, I don't buy any of that. I'm... In the world championships, I'm in the biggest tournament of, you know, it doesn't matter if I drawed Ronnie or if I drawed whoever, I'm there to win that game. So there's pressure on me to win that match. And when I'm clearing up in that game, I think it was at 9-8 from 50 behind or something, you know, I was nervous and I, mm. I was, there was pressure on me to win that game. Um, you know, because it's a, obviously a great win to, to beat Ronnie at the Crucible first time there. And um, yeah, I don't really buy all this amateur and... Uh, no pressure on it situations for players coming in because everyone wants to win. So you were going in with a very different perception to other people then. You were thinking, I'm actually here to try to win this. I'm not here for the occasion. Yeah, like at the time I um, I said, me and my mum were very close and, I, and I, you know, I, I speak honestly, if it's my opinion and I, I went in there to win that game. I don't play any game to, to come out second. Um, so, you know, I, I the form that I was in and I was showing... It, I didn't care who I played, mm. and I knew that as long as I got my chances. And I actually didn't play that well. I didn't think in that match, like compared to what I'd played in the qualifiers against like Higginson or whatever, I'd have won the game more easily in the first session because he didn't play that well in the mm. first session. Um, but obviously, I was at the Crucible first time. It's a bit nerve wracking. Um, and I remember going out to. I remember my coach at the time, Chris Henry. He said, um, "You know, James firmly believes he could win," but I, I, I did. You know, and everyone's looking at it like you couldn't, but, you know, if you don't believe in yourself, then what chance have you got? Let's talk about how the match went, because everyone always says, with Ronnie, you've got to stay with him early on, don't let him build a lead. You did that really well. You never let him get in front. 
yeah. to any great degree anyway. Yeah, I think that's very true. I think I've, I played Ronnie in the um, Scottish Open, I think it was maybe last year, and it was just relentless. Like, I've missed maybe one ball, and I've snookered him in the final frame, and 3 nil down, and I've, I've broke off and I've snookered him on the red, but I, he's got to swerve it a little bit to pot it. And I just got, I looked behind the shot, and I just knew it was frame over. And you get these feelings sometimes, and obviously you swerve round the green, potted the red, and cleared up. And it's like if you let Ronnie or people like Jord or Robertson get that lead, and you don't stay with them, um, or you don't go ahead yourself, then that's what they do. Um, so I think it is important to either do that yourself or stay with them to just to sort of you know keep yourself in the game. Yeah. As you said, it was such a dramatic finish. Those last couple of frames, both of them, absolutely dripping with tension. Now anyone who's never been to the Crucible doesn't know just how tight it mm-hmm. is and what an absolute cauldron. People always say it, but you can't really know what it's like until you've been there and seen it for yourself. Having never experienced that, how on earth did you manage to summon up the composure to get over the line in those last two frames? Yeah, as you say, you can't ex- explain what it's like playing at the Crucible. It's, um, you know, you, you watch it on the telly all them years growing up and you don't realise how close the audience are to you and, you know, the wall behind you and, the ex- you know, it's just, it's um, when, so, when they say, you know, when you when you can't put a ball out there, you can't put a ball in, you generally can't, it's a strange <laughs> feeling. Um, but I think one thing that I've always had in me is a lot of self-belief that when my game is there, I am going to do it and I think you know you've either got that or you haven't and I think the last few years I've struggled with with that because of so many things going on as in changing tips and cues and different coaches and techniques you know looking for that extra thing I've I was playing shots and one time with one tip for example and missing it thin and then changing the next time getting no consistency aiming it the same missing it thick and by the time you know it, you come to these shots and you're just guessing where to aim. And it got to the point where I just didn't know where to aim and what to guess. So I've said to myself this year now, and it was it happened at my last tournament of the Worlds, it happened the same thing. I won my first match and the tip was pushing every ball thick. And I just couldn't find one that I liked, but I knew what I was looking for because I've had it in the past. And another player that I practiced with, he said the same sort of thing, but not quite as fussy as I am with it. And um, I just said, look, I said, if, if I'm going to find any consistency again and get back to where I need to get to, um, I'm going to have to stick with something and get consistent with it. And now I think I've, um, I've found that, hopefully. People will criticise Ronnie O'Sullivan for his performance in the first session and shot selection, but every credit to this young man, this pink, for an unbelievable victory. In it goes! In it goes! And Ronnie O'Sullivan, the number one player in the world, the greatest of all time is out and James Cahill has proved one of the biggest shocks ever here at the Crucible Theatre. When you beat Ronnie O'Sullivan in any tournament, you get a bit of attention. When it's at the World Championship, it's massive, isn't it? Because it's the one time when snooker is at the absolute top of the sporting agenda. I get the sense that you really enjoyed all that. You loved the limelight and the attention of pulling off this massive result. Yeah, it was um, it was awesome really because my family and friends were there and you know it's as you say it's the biggest tournament playing against the biggest player and um, yeah it was it was it was good obviously walking around Sheffield people recognizing you and you know that's uh, that's what I play snooker for you know I want to be at the top end of the game and you know last year and the last few years playing at Milton Keynes is it's hard playing in front of no one I think for me personally you get a lot of I played against a couple of players last year who you could tell they were just 
calm and relaxed with everything as if they were practicing and you could see it in the way they played whereas if they maybe would have played in front of a lot of people who you know I, I don't think they'd have played like that not everyone but some players and um you know, I think it just affects people differently. And for me personally, I don't think that helped me. You know, I've always played well in, when there's been a lot of people there. And, and I, I don't know why that is. I think it's maybe just a focus thing, maybe because everyone's there. You don't want to make yourself <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. But when you're playing in front of no one in at Milton Keynes and you're going there and every tournament feels the same, you know, it's I, I found that as hard as I think most of the players did, if not harder. Let's talk about the next match then, because it certainly didn't end with the win over O'Sullivan. You put up a great fight then in the next round and basically got to within a frame of a place in the World Championship quarterfinal. How do you look back now, James, on that dramatic match against Stephen Maguire? Well, yeah, it was. It was uh, Stephen's a great player, you know, full stop. And we've, I've played him a few times, and we've, I think he's he's beat me in a couple of deciders. Um, but they've all been really good games, and. Um, I remember, as I said at the time, my attitude when I've come off and lost that match was like devastated. Everyone's going, you're doing really well, really well, and I was gutted. And now, you know, because I wasn't there, and everyone's going, you know, you got to the last 16s of the world. But I generally, my game was in a spot there. If I could have found something at the Crucible to go a lot further than that, and um, so I, I was devastated when I lost that. And I think, you know, a lot of players would have been happy with it, but that's just not the way I am but I think I'm now I'm trying to deal with that a little bit better I think that would be anyone's reaction obviously as I say you've come so close to being yeah. in the world quarterfinals but once the dust had settled a bit were you looking back on it and thinking well overall I've got to take a lot of positives from this um, yeah like um, I felt like my game was clicking um, and I was finding something um, but I've that match was to get into like the 64 and I ended up starting from scratch again and then my draws that year were just relentless and I don't like to moan about draws because I like playing the better players but you know when you when you're playing the better players and you're coming off and not getting shots and you know they're playing really well which is what they do as top players it's hard to climb the rankings and you know then that leads to um obviously less confidence when you're playing the people who you might have beat if you'd have had the confidence and you know then I, I'm a bit of a tinkerer or was and you know if if things are right but I'm not getting the results. I've had tendencies to to change it and find the five percent help. Hence, maybe the tips and whatever else. And you know, then that leads to you actually losing more. And by the time you know it, you fell off tour, and people think that you you finished. But mm. you know, there's a lot more in snooker than that. Fifty-one left. The handshake. It was a classic here at the Crucible, and very nearly another huge upset. But Steve McGuire's done it, and that's what it means to him. He is through. By 13 frames to 12. You're outlining there the reasons why, having done so well at the Crucible, it's not as easy as people think to then follow up on that in all the regular tournaments the following season. No, not, not at all. I think you've. I think one thing that I'd do if I if I did do well again was just persevere with what I'm doing, and if things did start going wrong after I had a good result, just stick with what I'm doing and wait for the next result. Where I sometimes, you know, people say, and I think, or thought, should I say that you know you should be following it up with a quarter straight away and it's like or whatever and it's like that's not the case there's so many good players and you know anyone can beat you on the day or any time that it's all such a tough standard now and I think the thing is is you hear everyone say it or oh, you know in, in the commentators and stuff oh it'd be interesting to see how he follows this game up or he follows that up and you get dragged into all that and you think well what happens if you go out and you play 
whoever next game you don't get a shot is it is it you know because he's played so well have I not followed that up or has he just played really well I think it's a lot of mindset and I think now as I say I'm hopefully feel like I'm maturing and, and getting to a place where I can maybe you know progress and you talk about that getting tough draws and coming up against top players but let's look at your record because you beat Ding and Selby both of them in the UK championship in different years you've beaten Sean Murphy in the Welsh in the minor ranking events, you've beaten players like John Higgins, Neil Robertson. Is it very frustrating then that in the qualifiers, in the less attention, shall we say, situation, that you don't always get the same results and perhaps don't produce the same performances? Yeah, when I've, um, when I've beat them players, they've always been on tally tables, really. Um, so I don't know if that's got anything to do with it. But like when I've played, um, I played my first year, I think it was after I did well in the Worlds, I've drawn Trump three times in one season, I think it was, in the first round. So I've played him, I think I played him here in Ireland. And he had three tons in the first three frames on the telly table. And I've came back to 3-3 three, three and he makes like 80 in the last frame. So I've, I've gone and lost first match there. This is after the Worlds. And he's gone on to win the tournament. And then the next tournament after, I think I was playing in the Welsh Open. And I just got back from uh, China and I was playing him first round again. I'd not played him at the tournament since I played him and I've gone and lost 4-0 straight away and it's like if I'd have had a few matches under my belt who's to say that wouldn't have been a different result mm. you know it might not have been because he's such a good player but I think when you go in week in week out playing a lot of these I'd personally like to see a tiered system and I think that way you'd get the right players coming through. When you look at that record that you have one thing you can definitely say is you've no reason to fear anyone because you've played so many of the top players and you've beaten a lot of them. Yeah, like, as I say, like I have a lot of belief in myself. It's now, it's it, it's not the fact that I don't, I can't beat them. It's just um, following up and having more consistent runs. I think now, and I think in the past it's just been more due to to my mental side of the game rather than what I can actually produce on the table. So, um, hopefully, you know, with a bit more maturity and um, you know consistency in what I'm doing, cue wise, tip wise, coach wise technique-wise and all these things gel together that I can build a bit of that. This is where we come, James, to what I call the quick-fire round, just where I throw a few subjects at you okay. and you just say whatever comes into your head, whether it's one word, one sentence, a couple of sentences, whatever. What it was like to grow up in Blackpool? <laughs> oh, Blackpool. Um, I don't really know. It's Because obviously um, I've grew up there, so I don't really know any different. Mm. Um but yeah, it was good, like back in the days playing snooker, the atmosphere in the club that we used to play at was really good. And, you know, like when you see Blackpool Tower, the pleasure beach and stuff, I never go because I mm. live there. You know, people see it as like this fun place. I'll go to Blackpool for the day where I just see it as, oh, you know, it's Blackpool. One match from your past that you would like to have over again? Oh, if I could, yeah, I'd probably have to be the Maguire match because not the fact that I necessarily played badly there. In that match, I, I had... I was, I should have won 13-11. I fouled on the pink. Yank Your waistcoat, fouled, yeah. Yeah, I fouled on it. And I didn't see it, but I'd won the frame. The balls were just there to just drop in, really. And so I'd, if I could go back to any point, it'd be to tuck my waistcoat in and, yeah. and go to, from there, probably. Maybe get a slightly different waistcoat. Even, well, yeah, yeah probably the yeah. wise decision. Early snooker heroes? Um, I'd probably say Stephen Hendry because he was my uncle. One thing you'd change about the game or the circuit or general life as a professional snooker player? Um, I'd change the open draw system to a tiered system. 
for the reasons you were outlining earlier that you're not facing the very best players all the time yeah maybe change the um, obviously before the, when the top players were protected if, um, but there's ways around that I just think let the players build the ranking and play that against themselves instead of getting thrown in against the deep end because if I played someone on paper who I should beat all the time and then I played someone who I judd all the time for example I'm going to have two different rankings and you know but if I'm playing someone around my rankings all the time my rankings going to be true and you've got people ranked higher than what they should be and people ranked lower than what they should be all due to draws in my opinion so if I could change one thing that would be that and finally slow players I'm not suggesting you're one (laughs) (laughs) yeah um well each to their own isn't it I'm I get a bit bored to be honest watching them in in my chair I tried to I think uh I just try not to watch it um I think each to their own though if they can't see the shots and they're not doing it on purpose then you know leave them to it up to them one shot one moment can be the difference between victory and failure ecstasy and despair to be a champion is to be ready when that moment comes Kazoo UK Championship Snooker at the York Barbican starts from the 23rd of November. Book now at wst.tv forward slash tickets. Where do you feel you're at with your game now, James? Because you're talking very positively here and you seem quite optimistic about what the future is going to bring. The last two years I've had on tour, I might as well have not played. You know, I, I, I was going into tournaments with no chance and... You know, now I see see that and although now I'm classed as an amateur, I've got more chance of winning the tournament now, I believe, than what I had a few years ago when I was on tour. Could you do that? Do you feel if you got through a few rounds of a tournament and found yourself in the last 16 or whatever, that you would have the belief to see it through and maybe win the whole thing? An Emma Raducanu sort of situation. I'd say... I wouldn't put it past myself. Like I'm not saying sat here saying I'm going to start winning tournaments out of the blue because it doesn't work, but like that. But you know, who, who's to say? Who's to say? No, I think all I'm saying there is I've got better chance now of, of running deeper in tournaments and mm-hmm. having a better um, run in a tournament than what I was last year or the year before when I was actually classed as a pro. I think all that's just you know, as long as you're in the tournament, I'm here to win it like the world number one is, whoever that is. And presumably, even though I was. You are, as you say, classed as an amateur at the moment. I assume you're still playing full-time and practising every day. Yeah, um, I wasn't. I played Q school and it was pretty tough, that, because the the um, the tables were tough and I weren't right with my game. I'd just come off the world and my game wasn't right, my head wasn't right. I was chopping and changing loads of things and I just thought, go there and try and qualify and if you don't, then at least you're going to give yourself some time to come back, figure it out and then hopefully when I do get back on, then... Get, be in a position where I'm actually happy with everything and I can I can do something in, at the tour. Whereas last year I wasn't, in the last few years I wasn't at that. So I um I wasn't play I I didn't play for a few months after Q school, and I wasn't planning on doing for probably another few months after. And then I got the call for the for this tournament, and um I've I've played for 15 minutes before I'd played, but I the, everything else tip everything I've not changed it. So when I actually came back to put my queue up, I actually felt quite good as it happened, although I'd not played. And I'd gone out against, I think it was Chang Bing Yu, and I played really well. I think I had like a 97 on a max, ton, 80 and 50 to clear it out, and I played pretty well. And then um, since then, I've 
because I, I knew I was qualifying for here, I've started playing again and, and putting the hours in again. And you mentioned Stephen Hendry there a couple of times, James. People would assume, oh, he's obviously been a mentor to him, but maybe it wasn't like that. Was he someone who you sought advice from at any stage? Not at all. Um, you know, people have said that to me, oh, it must, uh, you know, he must have helped you a lot and stuff like that. And I think the best thing that I could say he's probably helped me with is giving me a practice routine, mm-hmm. one single practice routine. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's down to my mum and, you know, people that have helped me along the way, he hasn't. And just going back to your mum then, coming full circle in the conversation, James, have the two of you played each other much over the years, <laughs> even for fun down the club? No, I think I've had. I think I remember having one frame with her years ago, but she doesn't play like you know. She'll watch me this week, and um, you know she'll just enjoy travelling and watching me when she can, and she plays through me now. She she says, and I believe it. So yeah, I'd like to have a, a run as much for my family and as well as myself, you know, because you know it's it's nice to give back when they. My mum's put a lot of and my dad, you know, put a lot of time into me and sacrificed a lot to to help me get to what stage I'm at now. And that was really noticeable, actually, when you beat Ronnie at the Crucible. You had great support there. It was very clear you've got a very good grounding and a lot of good people in your corner. Yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky. I've, um, I've got some good, um, some good people around me. I've got a couple of good sponsors, um, which helps massively. Um, and, you know, due to that, it takes pressure off if you're not winning. And, you know, a, 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 apart from that, you know, they're really good friends off the table as well. So got a lot of good family members a lot of good friends and but that doesn't that helps in when you're winning and when you're down with it but it doesn't almost help with what you need at snooker if that makes sense sometimes you need um every player is different but you need someone that can help you get through that situation where they're just good at supporting you and and helping you in different ways but because maybe you've got not different challenges that are thrown yeah, up exactly. so different people at different times maybe other people to help you yeah exactly like they're helping in in certain ways which is awesome and you know i can't thank them enough for that but you know sometimes when your game's not right on the table or i'm driving home and i'm telling myself i'm this that and the others cursing myself under the sun because i've not won a game of snooker um i remember actually ricky told me and he it, i was he's helped me a little bit and ricky walden, ricky walden yeah, yeah. And he's a um, you know, very knowledgeable person about it. And I was speaking to him and he was just telling me, you know, a few different ways. And I think just changing really my attitude towards it and how you talk to yourself and, you know, different ways and just maturing really. I think that's the main thing. And look at that for a shot. Five. Another star might be born here at the Barbican Centre this evening because this has been... A fabulous Nine. win for young James Cahill, just 19 years of age from Blackpool. Doesn't matter about the blue. James Cahill. Ding comes forward. It turned out in the end to be a remarkable match. And he'll be absolutely delighted. His mother's there. And, well, it's hard to describe how he's feeling. But in the end, it's a big, big shock. He beats Ding John Wee by six frames to five. There are so many players out there who've got the ability to be among the top players, to be tournament winners. It takes maybe something a little bit extra to actually do it. So do you feel you have that? Is that ultimately where you see yourself? Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't play the game if, if I didn't believe I could be a top player. Um, that's my, always has been my ambition and always will be. 
until I get there. You know, if 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 I don't get there, then it, it'd be obviously very disappointing. But that's the whole reason I wake up and I play every day and I've dedicated my life to it is to be one of the top players. And in the meantime, one thing you've already achieved, you're always going to be there, aren't you? On the list of the all-time great sporting upsets in any sport, not just snooker. That's great to do in itself. Yeah, but for me, that's just one one thing. I've got a lot more to prove to myself yet and I know what I, what I can do in myself and a lot of people say that and you know don't have it but I personally do think I do and you know that's just not that's not being cocky that's just my belief mm. in myself and you know you might think or anyone might think otherwise but you know the day I stop believing that is the day that I probably will stop playing. In a way it's a bit like I was talking to Aaron Hill recently the day that you know you really have progressed in your career is when people Stop referring to you as the guy who beat Ronnie O'Sullivan, and they're talking yeah. about something even bigger that you've done. Yeah, exactly. You know, when people speak to you about that, it's like, you know, it's like the only thing you you beat one person in a best of nineteen. It's not the, you know, it's not the end. It's not the. It's not what I'm sat here now talking to you as an amateur. It's not helped me that much, has it? You know, um, there's more to snooker than winning one match, and you've, it's about I think getting everything right off and on the table. Well, people say there aren't many British players coming through who have the ability to make us as top players. You have already shown, I think, enough to prove that you do have the ability. So we look forward with great interest to seeing how it all goes for you, James. And thanks for speaking so well on the World Snooker Tour podcast today. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast, it's the recent British Open runner-up, Gary Wilson, including memories of some challenging times early in his career even when I first turned pro because the money was so bad and there was there was not many tournaments I was already working behind the bar in the village hotel doing the functions like the weddings and things but that was like a zero hour contract so I could just work as and when I needed to do around the snooker as well which was handy but then that progressed into working in my own local pub working in a factory that my mum worked at in Findus um, so I'd already had jobs at this stage the snooker just wasn't good enough you had to sort of be top 32 at that point to be making a if a decent living. So that's coming up next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast. Until then, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.